Good evening and welcome in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The call to worship this evening comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm number 34. Psalm number 34 and verse 22. Psalm 34 and verse 22. Let us hear God's word. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. And so far, God's word. We take up that theme from the call to worship in our first song of praise. Please turn with me in your hymnals to hymn number 136. Hymn number 136, ye servants of God, your master proclaim. Please rise to sing if you are able. Please remain standing and turn forward to hymn number 415. Hymn number 415, God be merciful to me.
Amen. Please be seated. And now let us come to God's throne of grace. Let us all pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we are glad to be found in your house this evening, gathered with the saints of God. We are glad already to hear your words, that you are the Lord who redeems, the one who redeems the life of your servants. And you have given that exceedingly great and precious promise to your people, that none of those who take refuge in you will be condemned. And so we are glad, O Lord, to cling to the promise of our faithful God, of our covenant-keeping God, and know that you are good for your word, not only for today, but for tomorrow and for all of eternity. We are thankful to have come to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, as the Lord who redeems the life of his servants. Father, again, we come to praise you for all that you are and all that you have done this evening. We come to acknowledge and confess that you and you alone are the only one true and living God, that all the gods of this world are but vain idols, the imaginations, vain imaginations of men. We thank you that you have delivered us from such darkness, uh, from such error, from such that would damn our souls forever and ever. You have brought the light. You have brought us your truth in Jesus Christ. You have brought us to know him whom to know is life eternal. And for this we give you thanks. Father, then we do come to confess our sins, even as we have sung already, to acknowledge that by nature no good thing dwells within us, that we are but lost, O Lord, and that for all of eternity, had it not been for your love, for your goodness, your kindness, your grace and mercy. And so it is, even at this evening hour of worship, we would come again to confess our sins, the sins of our lips, O Lord, the sins of the words that proceed from our mouths, from our tongues. We confess, O Lord, our actions. We pray, O Lord, that you would forgive. And even, O Lord, the very thoughts of our minds, which may be unknown to others, yet always laid bare before you, we pray, O Lord, that you might cause us to acknowledge our sins, not seek to deny them or to excuse them, but to own them, but to know that as we do so, we come to, O Lord, to one who is uh, 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 slow to anger, uh, great in mercy, abundant, O Lord, in that loving kindness in his Son, Jesus Christ, for sinners. And so, O Lord, we come and ask that you would forgive us again this evening, even for the sake of Christ, our Savior. Father, we are thankful for the provisions of the day. We are thankful for the food upon our tables, clean water to drink, the shelter of our homes. We thank you for the employments you have granted to us, which support our families. We are thankful, O Lord, for our liberties that we enjoy, that we can assemble here without threat or uh, without uh, uh, molestation. We are thankful, O Lord, for these uh, uh, good gifts that you continue to us, and we would return our thanks. 
Most of all, O Lord, we thank you for your grace, which enables us to persevere, even uh, as we were thinking this morning, even when through dark and difficult times, you are that relentlessly faithful God to us. And you are the one, O Lord, that carries us, even when, O Lord, we are unable to even plod step by step by step. And we thank you for that, O Lord, that you are the one who uh, comes alongside us when we fall to lift us up. You are the one who pours in the oil and the wine of your gospel, the gospel of your Son. And we are thankful, O Lord, for that uh, grace that enables us to press on and to persevere even unto the heavenly city. Father, then we come with our prayers of intercession. We come again to uh, pray for your church, wherever she may be found. We think in particular of the churches in our own region here in the West. We pray again for congregations that are better known to us perhaps than others in their details of circumstances and in your providence. Yet, O oh Lord, united are we to each and every one as they confess Jesus Christ in truth. And so we pray, O oh Lord, for each congregation in cities, in counties, uh, in rural communities. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to encourage your people, grant them strength to be bold and steadfast in uh, increasingly uh, difficult days. Uh, we pray for elders and deacons of congregations, for members, that you would cause each one to be uh, uh, enabled to fulfill their callings, uh, that the name of the Lord Jesus might be constantly presented to those who are lost in their sins, and that uh, the church might be built up and grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Father, then we pray for those who serve in our military. We are thankful for each uh, branch of the uh, military uh, that uh, is in this country. We are thankful for those in our own congregation, O Lord, who serve in these ways. Uh, you know the circumstances, and we pray that you would continue to help them and those alongside uh, which they serve. We think of uh, personnel who are deployed away from uh, their home, away from their families. Uh, we pray that you would be with them, that you would, uh, Lord, be their um, uh, strength, uh, that you would help them to fulfill uh, their various uh, tasks and missions, uh, much unknown to us, O Lord, in detail. Uh, yet, O Lord, we know it is all known to you. We pray that you would watch over them, grant them safety, grant them success, we pray. We think of their families, O Lord, at home. We pray for spouses and children, extended families of uh, siblings, parents, grandparents. Lord, we pray that you would be with them and help them, uh, even in their uh, concerns for loved ones uh, so far away. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that though they cannot be with them, uh, they can commend them to uh, your mercy, to your grace, and know that you, the Lord, who is not restricted by time and space, uh, is the one who will never leave or forsake your children, whatever providence you have ordered for them. And so we pray that you would comfort family members in the knowledge of the greatness of our God and how we can depend upon him, rest in him, trust him, uh, even uh, for such circumstances. Father, then we think of our own congregation and its varied needs. Again, we would remember our young people. We are thankful for uh, the semester that has begun in their studies. 
Uh, we pray for those who have gone out from us to uh, college and settling into uh, new courses and new circumstances of life. We pray that you would continue to watch over them and to uh, settle them quickly into their new situations. We pray that you would give them ability to uh, study well. We pray that you would uh, grant them to be strong of faith, uh, even confronted with new circumstances, uh, with new temptations perhaps, and the uh, snares of the evil one. We pray that you would protect them. For those, Lord, who uh, may not be permanently away, but perhaps uh, travel, we pray that you would watch over them in their daily goings out and goings in to their studies and uh, the circumstances that they find in the classroom day by day. Uh, we pray again for strength, O oh Lord, and we pray that you would grant success uh, even as they apply the uh, abilities and gifts that you have given to them. Uh, we pray that they might uh, continue to uh, pursue and succeed uh, in these particular ventures. We think of our younger children, Lord, uh, studying at home, uh, various uh, turning of the years to new grades and new curriculum and new subjects perhaps, uh, though the routine may be familiar, uh, yet we pray that you would give them an excitement in their studies, uh, that they would see again that all knowledge is your knowledge, that this world is your world, uh, and that all is to be done to the great glory of the God who has made and sustains all things. We pray that you would be with uh, parents who have great responsibilities in these things, that you would help them, give them diligence, give them uh, patience, give them strength, O oh Lord, in days of uh, perhaps weariness and uh, uh, difficult times with topics and questions uh, and all of that detail. Father, help, uh, help them, we pray, as well. And so, Father, we commend to you those who are away from us, again, whether traveling, uh, whether sick, whether kept by mercy, necessity, uh, responsibilities. Lord, you know all of the details. We pray that you would be with them today, bless them, even if they have very, very busy schedules. We pray, O oh Lord, that they might have had opportunity to have at least a moment or two and have their mind turned to you, and again, that you might encourage them in their tasks and to know, O oh Lord, that you are there with them even though uh, they cannot be here with us and we with them. And so, Father, now as we turn to your word, we pray that you would bless its reading and its proclamation. Be with our brother TK, we pray, and as we prayed this morning for Sam, we pray that for him you would stand with him. Grant him the unction of your spirit, we pray, to declare to us the unsearchable riches of Christ. We pray that you would help us as hearers, that again, even at the end of the day, when there might be some sense of weariness uh, uh, more increasing than there was this morning, that you would stir us up, that you would give us uh, an attentive heart and mind uh, to hear your word, to rejoice in it, to respond in faith. Hear our prayers, forgive our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. The consecutive reading of God's Word in the Old Testament, we turn again to the book of Psalms this evening, and this time to Psalm number 74. The book of Psalms and Psalm number 74. This psalm is given the title or superscription, A Maskil of Asaph. So Psalm 74, and we're going to read the whole psalm from verse 1 through verse 23. 
Would you please rise, if you are able, for the reading of God's holy word. Psalm 74 at verse 1. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. And all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, We will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none among us who knows how long. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs, and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts, Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant. For the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God. Defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. Amen. And thus far the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Amen. You may be seated.
And now we are very glad to have our brother TK come and preach God's word to us this evening. Brother, please come. Good evening. Today's scripture is Psalm 51, entire verses. Psalm 51, entire verses. Listen to God's word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Father, please open our ears, hearts, and minds so that we fully focus on listening to your word, so that the words you speak edify our hearts and minds. Bring your word in deep. Let it dwell in us richly, so we can be more freed from the effect of sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This passage is one of the most famous parts of the Bible. Psalm 51 is one of four Davidic Psalms in the second book of Psalms. It was written after 
Nathan the prophet went to David after he had gone into Bathsheba and planned to death of her husband, Uriah. I want to consider Psalm 51 in the light of Christ. Sin, confession, forgiveness, renewal, preaching the gospel, spreading the gospel, praising God and the church. I'll read it again. Sin, confession, forgiveness, renewal, preaching the gospel, praising God and the church. In this famous passage, we will see all of these in light of the beauty of the gospel through this famous passage. For us, it is pretty obvious that David had committed a great sin against God. Yet David never real, realized his sin until Nathan, come, Nathan came to him and told David what God said. In 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan confronts David, you may have noticed that the analogy of the rich and the poor doesn't point out David's adultery or murder. As I've read over this passage, I found it was quite interesting that Nathan's story only criticizes David's covetousness. In 2 Samuel 12, we see that David actually committed three kinds of sins when it comes to the Ten Commandments. First, adultery, which is a violation of the second commandment. Second, murder, which is a violation of the sixth commandment. Third, covetousness, which is a violation of the tenth commandment. In terms of his violation of the seventh commandment, even though David was a king, the king of Israel, he was not supposed to commit adultery. Technically, he shouldn't have taken so many wives in the first place. Deuteronomy explicitly tells us what God commanded. Deuteronomy 17, 17 says, And he shall not acquire, acquire many wives for himself, lest his herd turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver, silver and gold. And so, as we see in the story of Abraham in Genesis 12, 12, no, 20, I'm sorry. Even the secular king, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, knew that he shall not take another man's wife. In terms of his violation of the sixth commandment, David actually arranged to have Uriah killed in battle. This wasn't a war casualty. It wasn't a death due to negligence. It was intentional. And earthly, early in the scriptures, beginning with Cain, as he was punished after he killed his brother, younger brother, and as God promised to Noah after the flood, murder was strictly prohibited by God. Those are very obvious sins that David committed. 
But again, interestingly, the analogy Nathan used for David's case seems to focus on the sin of David's violation of the 10th commandment, covetousness. Why? To answer that question, we have to look into the fact that David and Adam's sins are quite identical. In a sense that they both wanted something they were not supposed to have. David took what he wasn't supposed to have. Adam and Eve took what they were not supposed to have. It's all because of covetousness. David desired Uriah's life as Adam and Eve desired God's authority and power. Of course, God sees all of these sins David committed equally serious. Yet, there should be a reason why God pointed out David's covetousness through Nathan. Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death before, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, lustful passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry. When it comes to the meaning of the Ten Commandments, all of the second table of Decalogue interrelate with the first table. We can see this elsewhere in the New Testament in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we fail to love our Lord God, you fail to love our neighbors. If we fail to love our Lord, you fail to love our neighbors. Considering the Ten Commandments and Great Commandment, David obviously failed to love his neighbor when he committed murder and adultery, which means he violated not only the second table of the Ten Commandments, but also the first table. So David violated God's entire law. And this is all because of his sexual immorality, his impurity, his lustful passion, his evil desire, and his covetousness. So I would simply put it this way. What David had done can be summarized in Colossians 3.5. His sexual immorality, his impurity, his evil, evil desire, which connect to murder, and covetousness confirm his idolatry. His other sins, adultery and murder, are serious, but one thing God wanted to point out is his idolatry. Why does God use the analogy in 2 Samuel 12, in which it seems that idolatry is more important than the other sins? 
because idolatry is the root of all sins. In 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul said, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money itself is not the root of all kinds of evils. This craving, those who desire money, is the root of all kinds of evil. Any kind of desire or love, namely covetousness toward anything except God, is idolatry. We all know the seriousness, seriousness of the root of all sins. Idolatry blinds us so that we can't see God's grace and His kindness. So we fail to give God the glory and worship that only He deserves. It prevents us from giving honor and thanks to God as well. Paul said in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God confronted David through Nathan's analogy that David had despised the word of God and that he touched the root of all sins. Just as Cain was jealous of his brother, just as Adam and Eve wanted to become like God. So we know that the consequence of sin is death. David himself accused the rich in Nathan's story, as you know well, as being one whom he needed to put to death. And today's passage tells us that David knew his idolatry was very fatal. He deserves the death penalty. That's why he opens Psalm 51 with a cry, Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, God. Now we all know that David is supposed to be put to death. That's not astonishing at all. The amazing part of the gospel is not the bad news, as you know that, but the good news. As I read this passage carefully, what amazes me is not David's approach to God. But rather, just as God approached and questioned Adam after he ate a forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden, just as God approached and questioned Cain after he killed his brother, so too God approached David first. He came to David through Nathan and said, What have you done? What have you done, David? That voice led him to the place where he cries for forgiveness. This is our great comfort. As God came to Adam first, to Cain first, to Abraham first, and to David first, God came to us. God comes to us. 
great sinners. First, he comes first. First John 4.10 says this, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. He comes first. His approach to us, namely his work in us, makes us approach him and cry for forgiveness. As we know well, whenever we do something wrong, our sinful nature wants to either pretend nothing happened or ignore what we have done. Most of us, sadly, don't even notice that we actually have done something wrong. When I was really small, small but big, my mom, had, my mom still has five siblings. So my second aunt always, was always teasing me I, since I was small and big. Hey, if you're eating like that, you're going to become really fat. And, you know, all, all girls are not going to like you. So stop eating. Whoa. It's quite opposite to what I said in the morning, right? It's quite direct. I got hurt emotionally. I would say now, spiritually, it's still in my head. What her said, what she said, like to me, you're gonna be a pig. You're gonna be a pig. Yeah, at that time I said I thought like, oh, I'm not I'm not going I'm never gonna say this to my children. But when I become a parent, and my second son is quiet looking after me. He he looks after me. And he's quite big and small. And one day, while he was eating something, that I accidentally, I would say accidentally, hey, stop eating like an elephant. Uh-oh, right? I thought I'm not going to say that to my children. But I said that. I didn't even realize that, oh, I did something wrong. Or I just ignored what I just said. And later, I realized that, oh, I was not supposed to say to my kid, eating like an elephant? So you're an elephant? Oh, my. So I told my second son that, I'm sorry, son. I told you something that I was not supposed to say. I'm sorry, really sorry. I'm not going to call you an elephant or a pig at all. No, never. But please, eat less. Yeah, that worked, and still, he's eating a lot, and he's quite big, as I was, but, yeah, we're fine. We're good now. I hope that he's not going to say to his son or daughter later when he becomes a parent, yeah. So we don't even notice that we actually have done something wrong. Only the work of the Holy Spirit in us causes us to examine our souls. The Baptist Catechism in question 
and answer 35 describes the work of the Holy Spirit in these words. Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills. He does, he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel. The Catechism uses a term, effectual calling, to describe the work of God's Spirit. And regarding the repentance expressed in Psalm 51, it was God's Spirit that convinced David of his sin and sins through Nathan in the first place. And as a result of that work of the Holy Spirit, he approached God and cried for forgiveness. I believe that God approached me first. The Holy Spirit worked in me so that I, I noticed that, oh, I said something that I'm not supposed to say to my second son. That's his work. The following verses show us that he confessed his sin and appealed for cleansing. Verses 3 through 9. Interestingly, David knew that he had to be clean. This is the work of Holy Spirit, too. God's Spirit enlightened David. Verse 7 says this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Purge me with hyssop. Reminds us of the blood of the Passover lamb in Exodus 12. You, you recall the night of the Passover. The Israelites were instructed to put the blood of the lamb over their door. You know, dip a bunch of hyssop in the blood of the lamb they killed. And they covered the door frame with the blood of the lamb. And they did that with a bunch of hyssop. Yeah, he, they did that in purification and cleansing. Being washed or covered by the blood of the Lamb. Prefigured being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Truly, the Passover Lamb is the picture of Christ on the cross. We all know that the blood of the Lamb is what washes us sinners. And we shall be whiter than snow. He continues to say, Psalm 51, 8 through 9, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Unless God blots out all my iniquities, unless God hides his face from all our sins, we cannot experience joy and gladness. And here, we find joy and gladness in the blood of Jesus Christ. In Christ's death, God hides his face from our sins. In Christ's death, God blots out all our iniquities. In Christ's death, 
we find our true comfort. Now we come to verse 10. So far, we have seen a cry for forgiveness, a confession of sin, and appealful cleansing. What's next? Renewing. God's amazing grace doesn't end at being washed of our, our sin and misery. What's really wonderful is that at the moment our sins are washed away, God causes us to look up from mere earthly things and set our minds upon heavenly things. Forgiveness, confession of sin, and cleansing are all related to our earthly lives. But that is not the end of our end of our lives, is it? Verse 10 has us seeking out the heavenly life. Psalm 51.10 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Here, David used the words of the creation account in Genesis, God create spirit. David wants God to create in him a clean heart. Just as God created the world out of nothing, he also wants God to renew a steadfast spirit within him. He basically wants what, what David is asking for is a new creation, a new creation. Recall the third part of the Holy Spirit's work in the Baptist Confession 35, renewing our wills. Those who are convinced of, uh, of their sin and misery are aware of their need to be washed. And then they are renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit with hope of becoming a new creation, a new creation. Who then can become a new creation? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. By the power of the Holy Spirit, looking up, David is asking God, Make me a new creation. Even though he couldn't see, meet, or know the Savior, God's Spirit worked in him and made him follow the path that all Christians walk on. In fact, ever since God gave, God gave Adam and Eve the covenant in Genesis 3.15, we are meant to look up, look up to our only hope so that in Christ, we can look down and look around with proper heavenly perspective. There's a famous movie on Netflix, probably you guys have watched it, called Don't Look Up. Long story short, the meteor strike is about to happen, but the, the authorities say, don't look up. 
And people are saying, oh, I can't see the meteors. It's coming. But the authorities, hey, don't look up. Just don't look up. We're fine. Ignore that. This movie hilariously tells us that this world expects us to only look down on earthly things. The popular cultures of this world are always telling us that we have to focus on what we can see and have on earth. Don't look up. Ignore the truth that you will surely die. Ignore the truth that no one can ultimately be death. Ignore the truth that God sent us the Savior, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to wash our sins away, and deliver us from evil and death. Ignore the truth. The world, this world is saying that we are called to do good deeds and be like Him because we are sons and daughters of God who is holy, gracious, merciful, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, justice, holiness, goodness, and truth. Nothing is there. This world is saying to us, there's nothing. Don't look up. No. Rather, we never ignore those truths. We should always be looking up. If we don't look up, all we can do is look down on everybody and everything. Since we look up to God, we serve one another. How can we do this? With our power? No. Please remember that only in Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit alone, we can do this, serving one another. It is the work of the Spirit whereby convincing of us our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills. At the beginning of our Christian lives, He persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. And throughout our Christian lives, He continues to enlighten our minds, renewing our wills, and persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ over and over until we actually see God's glory in heaven. That's how we grow up in the work of the Holy Spirit. The steps David showed us in today's scripture confirm that the Holy Spirit was working in him. And we're sure that he's working in all believers today, working in us. Let me put it this way. As all of us, all of us know, well, David had a strong belief in God. But in today's scripture, he spoke just any pagan who had not yet believed in God. 
Indeed, he never forgot what God has done for him. He never forgot his praise to the Lord. He never forgot his worship to the Lord. Without a regenerated heart, he couldn't have done that. He's asking, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Like someone who's never tasted God's grace and love. He's crying. As a believer, yet a sinner, David knew that only God can make him clean and renew his spirit. And that is the only way he won't fail to care for his neighbors like he did Uriah and Bathsheba. Just as David knew, so we too know that God is the only one who can do such a work as this. Furthermore, we know that God's new creation in us and the renewing of our spirit is the only way we would love our God, our Lord, and our neighbors. The only difference between David and us is that he looked up and saw the coming Messiah. And we look up and see Christ who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, who sits God's right hand from where he rules and sent his spirit dwell within us, to work within us. And this is not the end. What David cries out in verses 11-12 should be our voice. He said, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. This must be our daily confession toward our Heavenly Father. Moreover, this confession doesn't end up here. In verse 13, David tells this, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. While we're walking on the path that Jesus Christ walked on earth, we're greatly joyful to spread out the gospel he proclaimed. Since the gospel is proclaimed, we sing a song like David, verse 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Proclaiming the gospel and praising the Lord is not mundane at all. We do every Lord's Day, but it's not mundane at all. It's not frivolous. It's not light at all. Without the blood of the Lamb, His death, resurrection, ascension, and the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness There is no renewal. There is no proclaiming the gospel and phrasing. And verse 16, 17 show us that we do tell others the gospel and praise the Lord with a broken spirit. A broken spirit. It seems that we are returning to the starting point when we first met Jesus Christ, when we first hear the gospel, our hurt, 
It's broken. Our heart becomes broken. Seems that we're going back to the starting point. We sin again, confess again, then God forgives and renews us again and again. Yeah. That's the work of Holy Spirit. This is how we grow up in Christ. But it doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. That doesn't mean that we gain salvation again. Back and forth in this process. No. We're justified in Christ alone at once. But we cannot be sanctified at once. It's impossible. That's why with a broken spirit, we keep confessing our sins, asking His forgiveness, being enlightened and renewed, and fighting our sins. We know, we all know, why we have to share the gospel and worship and praise the Lord. We know why we have to love our neighbor. We know why we have to do good works. That's why we're called his sons and daughters and disciples. His disciples. This is why Jesus told us in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We always fail to obey his commandments. We always fail to obey his commands. But God persuades us every single second. He's the the one who enables us to embrace Jesus Christ every single second. That is the reason why we who always look down instead of looking up can take heart in this world. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. At last, verses 18 through 19 show us that where it happens is mainly in the church. This entire process, the body of Jesus Christ, These verses use the words Zion, building up the walls of Jerusalem, and altar. As brothers and sisters in Christ, our Christian lives are sustained in His body, the church which Jesus Christ bought with His blood, and of which the Holy Spirit always takes care of. The church is the central place, a base camp for Christian to be convinced, to be enlightened, to be renewed, and to take heart. That's why we are here now. That's why we are here. Then what does today's scripture tell us? Whenever you find yourself looking down, because of your sin and failure, because of difficult circumstances or dark providences, look up. Look up again to God 
in Christ so that you remember who you are in Christ and why God saved you. When I lived in San Diego during seminary, I was a pastor assistant who had a responsibility to preach the gospel at the homeless shelter in downtown San Diego. It's quite, it was quite a mess. Once a month, I should go there and preach the gospel on top of my other duties. One day, I asked myself a question. What's different between me and them? What's different? Without the month-to-month paycheck, I didn't have a place to lay all my family's heads. I only had a half-broken-down car that could stop working anywhere, here and there. I could barely buy groceries for my family. I told them, I'm no different from you. Even though I'm in kind of a good-looking suit, I have nothing like you. I have nothing. But I am confidently preaching the gospel to you because I'm in Christ. Because I'm in Christ. That's who I am. We serve you food, not because we have enough time and money, but because we are Christians. And we love others because God first loved us. In the words of one pastor, he said this, Bottomless stores of mercy and unbending demands for righteousness almost never go together in any human being. Our temperament inclines us one way or the other. But these are perfectly combined in God. Indeed, in Christ, as his sons and daughters, we look up to God who has bondly stores of grace and satisfies unbending demands for righteousness so that we do respect and love people around us. He never ceases his work within us. So brothers and sisters, as today's scripture shows us the life of Christian bound to God's mysterious work, we are Christians who have a right to look up. We who should look up. Be encouraged. Enjoy the work of God's free grace. We will experience difficult circumstances. We might hear some bad news about our family or friends that we never expected. But God, who has the overwhelming power to create heaven and earth out of nothing, has been working in us and will continue to working in us. He will surely never let us go.
He creates clean hearts in us and renews the right spirit within us. Too often, we sin. We fail. We're selfish, ignorant, arrogant, and indifferent to one another. But we do look up depending on the Son, the only righteousness who died on the cross and rose from the dead in three days and ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. And we look up depending on the Holy Spirit who renews us in the whole man after the image of God and enables us more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And when you find yourself under our Heavenly Father's discipline, you're going through that difficult time. Remember, the Lord disciplines those He loves. Proverbs 3, 12. You are a beloved one. You are. Please remember that you are a beloved son and daughter. That's why you are here as a body of Jesus Christ, the church. That's why we worship and praise the Lord together in this church. He bought with the blood of the Lamb. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In closing, behold the words of Ephesians chapter 1, 11 through 12. This is God's word. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Only because of him, who delights in a broken spirit and broken heart, we are his disciples, the body parts of our Heavenly Father's church. Moreover, we are the praise of his glory. You are the praise of God's glory. That's who we are. That's who we are. So, do not give in to your sins. Fight. Fight your sins. Let's do what we ought to do. Love our God with all our, all our hearts, mind, and strength. And love and serve our neighbors as the praise of His glory. Let's do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and this church. Father, before you, we are hopeless and desperate sinners. In Christ, we cry for forgiveness. In Christ, we confess our sins. 
In Christ, we beg you for cleansing us with the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, please enlighten our minds and renew our wills day by day so that we remember who we are in Christ and do what we ought to do to you and our neighbors in our daily lives as the body of your church and the praise of your glory. Bless this congregation so that whenever they face difficulties, they find joy, gladness, and comfort in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We worship you and praise you, love you, try in God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. We appreciate your labors amongst us. As we turn to our final prayers this evening, please open your hymnals at hymn number 413. Hymn number 413, a response to Psalm 51. O thou that hearest when sinners cry. Please rise to sing if you are able.
Amen. People of God, receive the Lord's blessing in his benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Go in the Lord's mercy and grace.